Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday on our show today, and we're happy you're joining us for broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. On Farmer Fridays, our phone lines are open throughout the whole show, 844-44-AG-PHD. If you've got a question, today's a great day to get an answer. Brian, uh, you want to dive right into the mailbag or you want to want to talk for a minute? You've been on the road all week. Yeah, at this time of year, we spend a lot of time out just visiting with farmers, doing a lot of agronomy meetings and things like that. It's a lot of fun. Lots to talk about. Everybody, I, I, I should say... A lot of people are excited about this next year. Hopefully, we have good crops, and there are just a lot of changes going into the next year because of, well, a lot of prices have gone way down, which means now, on AgChem, which means now you might need to change your strategy a little bit moving forward, maybe some more tank mixes, maybe higher rates, and you still might spend less. So there are some exciting things when I start talking to guys about weed control, insect control, disease control. It's a lot of fun. But yeah, let's get into the Ag PhD mailbag right now. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, first one comes from Aaron out in Maryland. Hey, guys, really enjoy your show. Uh, You taught me a lot, and we're starting to pull soil samples for the coming year. Our goal is 180 bushel corn. It's dry land, really sandy dirt. That's why we aren't shooting for super high yields here. But I just got some soil test results back and wondering what you would recommend that I do. Putting on two tons of chicken litter in the spring. I do crop removal of potash in the spring normally too and split apply my nitrogen in about three passes with nitrogen stabilizers. We normally get 25 to 30 inches of rain during the growing season. What are some other things that you would see based on my soil sample that I could do? At 25 to 30 inches of rain sounds great just during the growing season. We haven't even had that much in the last two years combined. But uh, anyway, let's see. Is Oh, this is, okay, yeah. I, Darren just handed me a sheet of paper with soil tests. I got, I've got one soil test. Uh, so 6 pH, that's certainly not too bad. Phosphorus, 200 parts per million, not too bad. Uh, potassium, 109. Now this is where it gets a little bit misleading. 109 parts per million of potassium, I mean, in our geography, would sound horribly low. But since it's a four cation exchange capacity, it's like he said, it's really sandy ground. So the base saturation potassium is 6.4%. So if you're just looking at base saturation K, you go, oh, 6.4%, I'm good. Yeah, that's not going to be good. So you've got to continue working on that. And that's that's probably the biggest thing that I would say that stands out to me in terms of the major nutrients. So if, uh, sorry, I'm trying to uh, not, not to, well, anyway, <laughs> just a little technical issue here. So in terms of potassium, that's where I would focus. And honestly, in that pure sand with as much rain as you get, you could potentially do some K in season as well. I, we don't normally recommend that, but in higher rainfall areas and sand, maybe that might help you a little bit. And then you always have to focus on those leachables. So sulfur, you're at 14 parts per million. Boron, you're at 0.2 parts per million. That's not much. So I would just keep, um, I, I every time I put nitrogen out, if it was me, I'd probably put a low dose of sulfur and an even lower dose of boron out there. I think you're going to need it. So those are probably the main things that, that really stand out. 
Manganese would be something too. It's only eight parts per million. Looks like a Malik 3 test. I'd probably be addressing that a little bit. But yeah, I think you're certainly on the right track. Things don't look bad. It's just uh, you got to keep addressing stuff constantly in that sand. Oh, and as far as the chicken litter, we didn't get an analysis on what's in the chicken litter, but that is always something we're going to focus on too. Uh, what what are we putting out there besides just the commercial fertilizer, and what are we actually getting for nutrients? All right, Brian, I got a few things here. This is from Tristan. Uh, he said, hey, guys, I'm, I'm working with a farmer down in Nebraska. I'm sending you his water quality test, his pH tests, and his calcium tests. Why not send us all of them, Tristan? I'd love to see what the whole rest of that soil looks like. And when you, you look at these samples, it gives you part of the information. I just want to see even more. But here's the background. He said it's a 300-acre pivot. It's irrigated, obviously. Water table's only five to six feet down. Uh, so tiling seems to be out of the picture to get rid of his excess sodium that he has. Now, it isn't the worst calcium situation that I've seen, but it's lower than it needs with the pH being extremely high. Uh, would your answer be gypsum or what would you recommend? Okay. So first of all, if we're going to flush sodium out of the soil, we have to have great drainage. And let's see, do we have a cation exchange capacity on here, Darren? Did you see it? How heavy is this ground? I didn't see anything. So Anyway, yeah, all I see is something that says cations, anions. I have no idea. Uh, so I don't see a cation exchange capacity here. I don't know how heavy this ground is, but I have to assume it's somewhat heavy simply because we've got such high level of sodium. So the first thing I'm looking at is, can I get a, a better water quality okay. source? Tristan just go sent ahead. more tests here, so just a second. Let me pull that up here. I'll okay, go while ahead. you're doing that, I will just say, Drainage is number one. I have to make sure I have great drainage. Yes, you can flush sodium out with sulfur. Um, I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. If it's one pound of, I think it's one pound of sulfur removes one pound sodium of sodium. Sodium base saturation is seven to 10. Yeah, that's very high. That's very high. And that's to the point where it's absolutely, we will promise you, hurting your yield fairly significantly right now. But the thing is, you want to get it addressed before it gets even worse, because at some point you're going to completely kill your soil. Anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know how exactly how heavy this ground is, but I'll put it this way: you you really got Cat, you, cation exchange capacity is in the, anywhere from uh, teens to low twenties. Yeah, okay, that that sounds about like it. But this doesn't make sense then, because uh, this says forty-eight. Oh wait. What is, what is this? What is this that I'm looking at here? That's the water. Okay, water quality. Yeah, so, all right. I'll tell you what. We'll talk about this a little bit more after this break. Sorry, I apologize if you're listening. We got, we had half the information here, and I'm trying to answer the question. I'll give you a better answer right after this break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. 
Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year. BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, a soils clinic, and a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com. The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination of Group 14 PPO herbicide sulfentrazone and Class 15 molecule pyroxysulfone that outlasts the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC, and we play to win. Learn more at authoritysupreme.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to talk to you if you've got a question or an agronomic topic you'd like to discuss. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Okay, so right before the break, apologize about that. We had some information from Tristan, and now I have a lot more information in Nebraska, and hopefully I can much, much better answer this question. So basically, got soil pH in the 8s, and the reason why is because the sodium is so high, you're talking 7% sodium roughly um, in a base saturation test. So cation exchange capacity is 15 to low 20s, something like that. So here's the first thing that I'm doing if this is my field, and I, I understand it's a pivot, or actually it looks like from the map that he sent two pivots on there, but Here's exactly what I would do if this was my ground. First thing I'm doing is pattern tiling, and I'm getting that done tomorrow. So, and and we have our own tile plow, and so that's why said, I can say he said the water. You hit water at five to six feet down. Yeah, great, perfect. I love that. That's just like on our farm, on our river bottom ground. We hit water at five to six feet down. It's fantastic for raising crop. We put tile in. We pattern tile at about three feet. So that way we can flush stuff out and flush the excesses out. At so, a 20 CEC, you're going to need spacing roughly every 20 or 30 feet? No, you don't have to have it that close. Um, and it, a lot, he's got a lot that's in the that's 15, between 15 and 20 as well. So a lot of times when we say 15 to 20, I'm talking 40, 50 foot spacing, something like that. And you always want to GPS it. So in other words, you know exactly where the tie lines are. So if you need to add something later, easy, and make sure your main line is big. So yeah, if this is my ground, I'm just telling you how I would handle this. This is exactly what I would do. I'd go in, I'd pattern tile everything. For the most part at 40 or 50 foot spacings, if I had a couple heavy spots, I might put an extra couple lines in to get down to what Darren's talking about, 20 or 30 feet, but that shouldn't be necessary for most of this. The second thing that I'm doing in terms of how I'm going to flush that out, well, 
second thing I'm doing is I'm looking for another water source. I'm trying to go deeper, I'm trying to figure out this sodium thing, because if you keep throwing more sodium out, it's only going to get worse. Okay. Well, and here's then, the other thing on ahead. the sodium, Brian. In addition to it coming from the water, because there's a bunch in the water, which makes sense, but I'm just wondering if there's manure going on here, yeah. too, in a big way, because we've got in, a, in excess of 10% base saturation K, which... That, yes. That's a lot. So I wouldn't yes. put any more on. Yep. I, and I would stop doing You're that. absolutely right, and I agree with you 100%. I was going to bring that up. We, But here's the thing, Darren. We've got 20 parts per million of phosphorus. We have 600 parts per million of potassium. So I don't know. I'm not going to guarantee you that there has been all kinds of manure there. But if I had been putting manure on, zero manure is going to get put on for 10 yeah. years. Then I look at zero. sulfur as another thing that can help clear up some some sodium issues if we've got good internal drainage. Right. We've got 50 to 70, in a lot of cases, parts per million of sulfur out there. So there is some sulfur. Not much. But, that's, but, that, that's but he nothing. was talking about putting on gypsum. And yes. that would be a lot of sulfur. Yeah. The, the whole thing is you don't want to get your calcium way out of whack. So what's our calcium base saturation percentage? Uh, I, I didn't find it there. It's probably there. So if you can it, try to find the calcium-based saturation percentage, that's what I need. Yep. But anyway, yeah. Oh, there it is. Uh, I actually did find it. Okay, so here's the thing. You've got that in one of the printed. Yeah, items. yeah, I've, I, I've got this. So there are a few spots that were down into the 40s and 50s, okay, in terms of percentage. And then I'm not too worried about adding calcium uh, and lots of it. I've got some where we're getting close to 70% calcium, and then I'm starting to get a little concerned. We may have enough calcium out there. So today, if you said, can I put gypsum on? Can I put five tons of gypsum on today if I wanted to? Yes, you're fine one time. You can't do it again in the future, though, on a lot of this ground. Otherwise, you're going to get the calcium way out of whack. After that, you're down to elemental sulfur for the most part. So you're going to be using elemental sulfur to remove that sodium. And roughly, it's going to take a pound of sulfur for every pound of sodium that you want to flush out of there. So that's what you have to keep in mind in the future. Oh, and by the way, please add some fertilizer for this will help you raise a better crop, which will help your overall soil, your soil health, everything. When you're at 20 parts per million of phosphorus, that's not nearly enough. When you're at 600 parts per million plus on potassium, stop putting any on. Spend zero money on potassium. Invest those dollars in phosphorus and copper and zinc and, and things that will really help you and the sulfur that you need. All right, yeah, there you and, go. and we haven't even talked about the micros, but we got to get those did. other big pieces yeah. first. Cop, copper and zinc, but well, yeah, but sure, the sulfur thing. But you got to raise a good yield, and I can tell you this: if you're raising that phosphorus level from twenty to fifty, like you probably want to, you got to raise your zinc accordingly and your copper accordingly, or you're not going to get the yield gain that you want. And zinc and copper are cheap. All right. All right, thanks for the questions and good luck. It's a, it's a lot of stuff to think about on that, but you know what? It's 300 acres of ground in Nebraska that has a pivot, so it's worth a lot of money, and investing another $1,000 into that ground so will speaking, make it worth a lot more. Yeah, so speaking of that, I was in North Dakota just yesterday, and I talked to a farmer after I got done visiting about agronomics and everything else. He comes up and he goes, yeah, we had good crop last year. It was 260 bushels on a pivot. And I go, and right away, he's like, I don't think that's enough. And I go, I'm with you. If water is not your yield limiting factor, what is? We should be able to figure that out. And hopefully you can get 350 bushel corn, not 260. Don't get me wrong, 260 is fine. But we often raise that on dry land ground. And I'm just saying, if water is not your limiting factor, there's something else. And a lot of times it's fertility.
All right, let's get to the phone lines here. Got our friend Tony Wendler on right now with Farm Shop MFG. How you doing, Tony? Excellent, Darren. It's a beautiful day. And as, and only somebody in the upper Midwest would know this, I'm saving big money today. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we think about all the things going on. Uh, one of the things that you talk about is saving money, but how about making money? And how about uh, some of the yield data on, on closing wheel comparisons this year? Do you have any of that to share? Yes, I do. Um, I got some information this past week from the Wabash Research Center in Wabash, Indiana. And I know at the time they did these plantings uh, that it was dry out there. So everybody out here on the west in the dry land uh, should pay attention because this is something that we really experience as a positive with the germinator. But uh, between two planting dates, they had a total of eight replications. Uh, first planting date, uh, germinator uh, 247 and a quarter, twister 245.6, furrow cruisers 243.8, second planting date, uh, germinator 260.5, yetter uh, 258, furrow cruiser 257.7. So uh, we came uh, two, two and a half bushels uh, above the next closest. You start doing that math, five bucks a bushel, uh, as compared to another wheel, it doesn't uh, take that long to pay for upgrading. And uh, I know that, like uh, the data is out there, like for a Yetter is worth as compared to a rubber tire, six and a half bushel per acre. And this test did not have a rubber tire in it, but I would like to say that, does that mean we're eight and a half, nine bushel per acre better than a rubber tire? Uh, in, uh, I know there's a lot of conditions we are. So yeah. it, uh, it's, it's interesting, so Tony. And I, I think this is one of those things that I know sometimes guys are like, man, I, there's a lot of things I could compare. This one doesn't really take you a whole lot of extra time. You just, just put on some different closing wheels on different rows and then see, see how it does and evaluate it throughout the year. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, uh, hey, the, the math is, is really there. It works. Um, I got a neighbor that uh, put on some of my wheels. His daughter told me, she said, well, he wasn't, uh, wasn't quite sure until he saw his corn come up. And he said, oh, yeah, he's really sold on those wheels now. So uh, it's, you get them out there and uh, put them on, put them correctly, and they really work. They'll make a difference. And we've got some more stuff coming uh, compared to um, Furrow Force uh, looking to get the results back soon. So yeah, it does does make a big difference how you set things up and then just managing and, and keeping an eye on things as you go through the season, making some adjustments as uh, as you're putting that crop in the ground, just getting out and doing some digging. I know we've talked with Tony about that a lot, just digging across the row, seeing how that seed is, seeing what kind of seed-to-soil contact and so forth that you get. Uh, but, you know, the challenges, conditions vary as you go across the farm. So you're going to find that there's going to be some differences here and there, like Tony was talking about the rubber wheels. And in, if everything's perfect, it seems like they work okay. But if things aren't so perfect, they certainly don't. And you're looking for something better. Hey, Tony, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you ready? We got the need. The need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego! 
Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. It's a hungry world of 8 billion people. Let's not let them down. Commodity Classic is where you'll find innovation in the quest for bigger yields. Join us in Houston for new frontiers in agriculture. February 28th through March 2nd. Learn more at CommodityClassic.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. My mom's got a new case I-Extractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case I-Extractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at headsupst.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open if you'd like to call in and talk about any agronomic topic or question uh, that interests you. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head up to British Columbia. we got John on with us right now. How's it going, John? Oh, it's going good. I know they got a ton of snow up in Alaska. Do you happen to catch that where you're at in B.C.? No, we, uh, fortunately, just for fall, usually we're wet, wet, and we just came out of about a 7 to 10 day dry spell, so that's a little bit rare for us this time of year. I think we're going to go into probably 7 to 10 days of rain every day, so. Yep, always something. So, uh, so what are you working on now for the farm? Uh, mostly just getting ready for winter, finish up a little bit of, uh, equipment stuff and trying to build a list to go through for winter or for winter repairs so 
Yeah, we've been looking through yield data and trial data and so forth from our farm, and and some stuff worked out pretty good this year. Some stuff, uh, dry weather kind of messed up a little bit. How, how about for you? What did you see out in the fields this year? Uh, started off uh, with a nice spring early, got things in the ground early, and then it dried out, and we've been our third, third drought year in a row. So um, irrigated stuff that we got going, uh, finally our full year of irrigation was this year for 23 crop year went went really well and it makes the um, unirrigated stuff not look nearly as good anymore so <laughs> that's for sure especially in a three-year drought you don't have anything down in the soil to to pull out anymore so is is irrigation uh, possible to be much more broad scale in your area um yeah we've kind of you know take the easiest uh, most cost effective acres first so that's what we've we started on in 22 installing the system and then some of the components weren't available still because of manufacturing delays. So we finally got everything in place this year. And, and yeah, you, with, we're, we're all sil- like growing uh, corn silage and grass and unirrigated to irrigated, um, you know, you're you can be 10 ton, 10 ton to the acre more of corn silage over irrigated to non. So it's significant difference. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So are you going deep for the water? Do you have mountain runoff you can catch? Are you fortunate enough to have a system like that? Or how do you get the water? Uh, we Some of both, two different locations. Um, one, we have a well. It's only, it's really only at 80 feet deep. So and it will produce, with 100 horsepower, submersible will produce about 1,000 gallons a minute, 1,100 gallons a minute. So Awesome. Um, that keeps up pretty keeps up pretty well, and then some of ours are from yeah uh, rivers and streams that we pump out of. So sure, sure, yeah, it's it's interesting. And you get in a year like this, it's a huge huge advantage. Maybe next year rains will come timely and everything will be fine. And you don't have to use it. I I think those systems are great because now you got it, and when you need it, you can always turn it on. Yep, for sure. It, well, we uh, enjoyed using it this year, and. and yeah, probably our, if our limiting factor is water, then we need to probably start uh, pushing ourselves more on, on the nutrient end of things. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the silage, and I'm kind of curious. You said it was a 10-ton difference just adding a little bit more water. That's that's pretty significant. What can you get in British Columbia? I mean, how I don't know how big the corn gets, how tall does it get, and, and what kind of tonnage can you really shoot for? I, I'm sure, you know, now that you have unlimited water supply, you're thinking, man, maybe I can push for bigger numbers than I've ever gotten. Um, yeah, I think our best irrigated fuel is probably in the – 27 ton an acre range so like to see it push you know i think we could push to 30 ton an acre absolutely yeah that's that seems very reasonable that that you could push her another 10 percent up well that's awesome john it's gonna be fun comparing notes with you here as you go forward and and get more comfortable using that system and so forth but congratulations to you guys really happy that that you're taking things forward like this and and good luck to you here heading into the winter thank you Set up to uh, North Dakota. Got Darren on with us right now. How's it going, Darren? Oh, not too bad. For December 1st, it's uh, 37 degrees and sunny. Isn't this crazy? They're talking Great. 40s even into next week, and uh, the whole month of December looks good. You're not a big snowmobile guy, are you? Because if you are, I'm, I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed for a while. Nope, it doesn't bother me at all. I I, I burned uh, a lot of diesel fuel moving snow last winter, so this was a, uh, a nice change of pace. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> yes, that was something last winter. So how'd you turn out with the crops? You got everything off? 
Yeah, we did. Uh, we finished up oh, almost three weeks ago now. Um, you know, for planting, we got in the field really late, and um, and in fact, we start we, we finished planting corn on the twenty seventh of May, and we had our second best corn crop ever, um, and uh, and the beans were good but not great, and spring wheat was really good and. Um, man, it, it's uh, for planting really late on all three crops and having slightly below normal precipitation. Uh, we were more than pleasantly surprised on how the year turned out. Yeah, that is awesome. That is awesome. I know it. You, you thought, oh, no, all is lost here. We're not getting in the ground. And uh, it turned out to be not a bad thing in the end. Uh, I know for us, the, yep. the heavy ground sure did so much better this year with just our lack of rainfall. Did you see soil types playing out different or, or ground you've been building fertility on do different? Uh, was, was there a rhyme or reason why, why fields did a little bit different this year? You know, it was kind of surprising. Uh, almost all of our fields averaged within 10 bushel of the average except for one and and that was our heaviest field and and that we had, we had one field that ran about 215 and so for southeast north dakota and it's only 86 day corn uh we were we're pretty happy so yeah soil tests our soil types didn't make a difference um but we had just enough rain just to kind of keep us going where it wasn't as big of a difference as normal drier years that makes any sense Sure, sure. Yeah, with the extra heat yep. and all the sunlight that we got this year, it seemed like uh, even the later day stuff finished off, which was great. And that that can be a challenge some years with the late planting. Did was the eighty six day a concession that you had to cut back on maturity because you're worried about that? Yeah, it, it, it we did. Uh, most of my lineup was in the eighty seven to ninety two day range, and we cut pretty much everything back. Um. But well, we kept the 86, 87 day, and I, we, we really cut back on our 92, 93 day corn. And then we actually went all the way down to 84 and less. And, and that was a mistake. And once we got below 84, we really took some yield hit just because of the, uh, of the maturity. But, you know, when you're, when you're planting on the 27th of May and you had 2019 in your memory, uh, we wanted to err on the safe side than, than planting too long. Of, I don't uh, blame you one bit for that, Darren. I was thinking no, the same thing. No. I remember that year and we it were just praying we're going to make it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So and it still yielded well. It's just, you know, we, we left probably eight, eight, nine bushel on the table per acre on the table on about, oh, a third of our acres, maybe 40% of our acres, but um, it still yielded well. Um, so I, I can't complain. Yeah, but you didn't have any 40-pound yeah. corn, so that's a nice trade-off. Nope. I'll make that trade-off every all year. 56 to 58. Yep, that's, that's awesome. for sure. I, I do have a question. Our, our soybeans were – our early soybeans were great, and our later ones, especially in the, on the good acres, just got decimated by white mold. And, and what's your guys' recommendation? I planted light down to 90 to 100,000 an acre – and I still got white mold in these areas, and I'm just at a loss as how to further prevent um, that infestation, especially on those good acres. They, they, those good acres should have been in the mid-60s, and instead they're in the low 30s. And um, 
you know, what, what's your guys' recommendation for, for curtailing white mold other than population decreases? Well, Darren, I'm glad you asked. I've been doing meetings okay. this week in the state of North Dakota talking about sclerotinia yeah, white missed- mold. And I've got not. I was busy. (laughs) Yep. I've got nine things that we will usually talk to people about when it comes to white mold. Um, I got 30 seconds before our next break. So if you want to hang on with us, uh, when we come right back, we'll talk about those nine things. And I mean, I'll do it quick. One of them, of course, is population. But my number one message to everybody this week had been this. If all you're going to do is cut population, or for that matter, even spray one time with a fungicide, it's not going to cut it in the bad white mold areas. If you got super light white mold pressure, maybe, but what you're talking about sounds a little more severe. So we'll talk about it right after this. It is. Yep, yep, we'll get to it right after this. Hang on with us, Darren. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Your farm's greatest challenge is making sure your crop has enough fertility to reach its yield goals. But how do you know if you're applying too much of any one nutrient? Fine-tune your fertility plan with Verify. Your combine collects hundreds of yield data points per acre. Verify takes that data and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on crop removal. So you can be confident you're not over-applying. Get started today at Verify.com. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. You have a lot at stake when it comes to raising corn. I'm Darren Hefty. That's why on Wednesday, January 17th, we're holding a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll help you navigate all the challenges of corn production, including how to manage exploding pest populations, resistant diseases, fertility challenges, and more. It's a day packed with information. So if you want to get the most out of your corn this season, don't miss the free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Register now at agphd.com. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. 
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio, just talking about sclerotinia white mold from right before the break with Darren up in North Dakota. And he just mentioned that he'd cut his planting population and still had white mold. Darren, I'm with you. We've done the exact same thing. Tried cutting planting population, went to wider row spacing, planted a more tolerant seed variety, and still we had white mold issues in areas. And so over the last probably 10 years, we've really been working on, all right, what is it going to take to solve this problem? So I had just mentioned before the break, we have nine things that we look at on our farm and that we advise people to look at. Here's the quick list. Number one, make sure you have good manganese levels in your soil. You want a high manganese test. Please don't run a DTPA test. Look at a Malik 3 test. Um, I could get into that more, but I'll just tell you the DTPA test as your pH goes up, your manganese level goes down, and it's almost non-existent when your pH is high on a DTPA test. You need the Malik 3 test. Super inexpensive to run, but just get a Malik 3 test on manganese. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing, contents. That's a fungus that eats a sclerotia. It costs like $35 an acre. So I'm not saying you do it on all your acres. I'm saying you just do it in your very worst spots of white mold because usually it's those same spots that are going to show up again in the future. This contents, it's a fungus that eats the sclerotia, so you will have less white mold pressure in the future. Third thing, pick a, a more tolerant seed variety. Four, go to wider row spacing if you can. Five, lower planting population. Six, use heads up seed treatment. That costs about four bucks. Seven, Use an early post-emerge PPO and Group 15 combination herbicide, something like Anthem Max or Warrant Ultra. That'll shorten your beans just a little bit, give you better weed control, and then you usually have more air flow through the beans. I'm not saying this is a dramatic step that you know is that big a deal, but it does seem to help just a little bit. And then here's the big one that a lot of people, I find, do not do, and it's super inexpensive. It's Cobra. Cobra, or we use Phoenix, that's the Cobra with a safener. But either way, it costs $4 for the six ounce rate. Four bucks. Spray it right before flowering, or maybe as you see the very first flower in your soybeans, don't get too late. Otherwise, you're gonna you might ding up your beans. But do it right before flowering, and we have found that works tremendously well, almost as good as Endura. At R1, or first flower, then we'll go spray Endura, usually, and just in the white mold spots. And then later on, we'll come another two, three weeks later with something across all our acres, maybe a Preaxor Plus Tilt or Delaro Complete or something else. It's maybe not the greatest on white mold, but it's good enough and it's uh, real good for plant health and everything. And then we do another pass of fungicide in the white mold areas with something like a Domark Tolaris or Domark Topsin combination later on. So, I mean, literally in the bad white mold spots, we're doing Cobra, we're doing three shots of fungicide, and that's a for sure. We do that every time, and we have pretty much eliminated white mold issues on our farm by following many of these steps. I'm not saying you have to do all nine, but it just depends on how bad the problem is, how serious you are about removing this issue. But if you can just spot spray or just hit those certain areas, like on our farm, this year it was 10% of our acres. I figure, okay, I spent $70 an acre more. It's 10% of my acres. That averaged $7 an acre across everything. I can afford that. And even $70. We've literally lost 90 bushels to the acre from white mold in the past. 90. I can afford to spend 70 in my bad white mold spots. So there's my, as fast as I could do it, my quick run through on all the things you could look at for sclerotinia white mold. 
Yeah. So my question is, so would you variable rate uh, Cobra as well? Like just spot yep. the areas? Yep. Like, uh, yep. If, like if you for if sure. We, have, we do zone sampling, so yep. just our, our our heavy dark green, light green zones, and then not do the rest. Exactly. That's what we do yep. with Cobra. Okay. That's what we do with Endura. That's what we do with the combination late of Domark Topson. So yeah, we're not spending all these dollars on every acre. We're only spending these dollars sure. just in a little, a few little spots, and then we find we have pretty good results. So some of the things what I maybe do on every acre, like heads up, it costs four dollars. It's also re- labeled for Rhizoctonia and sudden death syndrome. So you know something like that, I don't mind because I'm I figure I'm probably going to get some benefit on the other acres. But you look at things like Endura or or Contans that I mentioned. When you start spending $40 an acre, you better make sure that, that you're going to get some kind of return. But but on the flip side, I agree with your sentiment on, on losing dollars. That's only three bushels of soybeans. Yeah. And and with, I know I lost 30 to 40 yep. in a lot of areas. Yep. I'm probably... 15% of my acres, I went from 50 plus bushel beans to under 50 with subpar rainfall. I mean, it, yep. it, it was a game changer and, yep. and I don't mind spending the money as long as I know I'm going to get, get it back. Yep. So we were in the same boat as you about 10 years ago when we got hammered hard, when we were literally combining our best beans ever. And in the white mold spots in various fields, it just crushed us. And I said, no more. That yep. is it. So we have to yep. we have to do better. And we have the capability to do better. It's just, you know, we weren't really thinking about it. It wasn't a plan. And so this is the thing. What happens a lot of times is guys get caught and they, they walk out in their field and they go, oh, I got white mold. Well, okay, at that point, you're way too late. There's nothing much we can do then. You have to plan this out ahead of time. And so you can look yep. at your yield maps from this fall now, and you can basically plug that in for two years from now. I'm going to assume your corn soybeans. But the next time you go back to soybeans, look at those bad spots. Those are the areas you spend the extra money, and you're good to go. I agree. All right. Thanks for the call, Darren. Appreciate it. Hey, th- hey thanks, guys. You bet. All right, we've got our friend Greg on down in Nebraska who raises a lot of soybeans and has done so for many years. What did you think of that discussion, Greg? Well, I think it's some excellent advice there that Brian gave for controlling white mold. I tell you, um, all of those things are so vital. And I was just at a Hefty Agronomy Workshop yesterday in Madison. Jacob Goobles and the team from Hefty West Point uh, there do a, a fine job every time and and that was certainly uh, a discussion topic uh, in our seminar we had people with white mold that had never had it before and uh, they're scrambling what to do and like brian said once you see it out there you're too late so let's get on top of it and let's really do some pre-planning to control this yeah you know a lot of guys will say well you got to rotate away from beans but that's not been the case for you so you've got to try and prevent it not just for this year but uh any little bit that's out there you take really serious uh has it been a big challenge for you or with with constant diligence have you been able to keep it out i've been able to keep it out and i think some reasons for that i mean uh, you know we're talking about wide row spacing well actually i go 10 inch uh, drilled and so that's that's not a a situation for me i do look at uh, tolerant seed varieties and standability and those 
issues. But I think the main thing for me, Darren, is that uh, working on getting my soil manganese levels up over 20 parts per million on the DTPA test. I know um, I just got some soil analysis report back from Midwest, Midwest Labs here uh, a couple days ago, and uh, seeing those uh, manganese levels uh, increase uh, in response to what I've been adding every year is, is really helpful, I think, in, in controlling white mold. Yeah, the fertility piece is a big, big deal. And I know oftentimes even in human health and in, in the health of our livestock, if we're off on something with nutrition, it just opens the door for some of those diseases. I, I love it. I love the focus, Greg. It really is. And I'm also looking at copper. You know, copper is a big deal for diseases. And uh, they put copper in fungicides. And I believe uh, Neil Kinsey recommends two parts per million or, or more. And uh, I see on my... Uh, soil test here I, I probably need to add a little bit more i'm more in the medium range of like uh, just a little over one part per million so i'm going to work on that as well yeah i like that focus i know sometimes on the show people say oh man you're talking about herbicides and crop protection products and uh, what about other ways to fix it i love the idea that nutrition can can be a big piece of this and rather than trying to blame uh, blame different things hey let's just look at our own soil tests and and see what we can do to build that uh, Greg, that's great stuff. Did you turn out good this year? I know we're just about out of time here before we got to take a break, but how, how'd this year turn out for you? I had some corn acres, Darren, uh, and that was fantastic. I actually put some corn in uh, this year, uh, mainly for some stocks uh, for my cattle to graze, but uh, we had 11 inches of rain in July, which really made that corn crop. Uh, the rain did shut off in August, and it was uh, disappointing bean yields, and uh, really knocked the the top end off of that for sure. So I think we're about due here to maybe break out of that uh, drought cycle and hopefully that we can get some of those timely rains in August that can really put a fine finish to that bean crop. We're doing everything we can um, on the fertility side and, and the management side. and uh, Just need Mother Nature to cooperate with a little bit of rain. Hey, thanks, Greg. We really appreciate it. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of Naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. 
It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield robbing pests, trade options including extend flex and enlist, fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open for your agronomic questions or topics you'd like to discuss. 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to Maryland. We've got Kevin on right now. And my question, Kevin, is are all the double crop beans off? Well, Darren, uh, there's a few few large farmers that uh, are a few that have had some major breakdowns that are still gathering in a few but uh i finished last monday and um winding up the year very thankful and very grateful we've we really had a very good year here on the farm uh yield wise weather wise uh i was a little stressed in the beginning but it everything turned out really good you know, it's a long year, too. And that's one of the things I know sometimes uh, listeners uh, that farm up where I do say, man, double crop. Oh, that'd be awesome if I could do that. But it does make for a very long season. Well, and, and everything seems that way anymore. Um, we we just the crops when I was a kid, I mean, maybe I wasn't involved in the management so much. But it just seemed like we flowed from planting to harvest to spring, and everything just flowed well, and it was an intense management. Now it just seems like everything is a brain scratcher, and we're critiquing everything and double-thinking every move we make, and it just seems like the whole season is a lot more stressful. Yeah, we're we're getting higher yields. I know we're getting more gross profit off each acre, but yeah, it's it's definitely a lot of work to do it. Not not easy to be a farmer these days. So, what are the big challenges going into this next year, Kevin? That you say, you know what, this next year we're going to try and solve this. Is it weed control? Is it disease management? Uh, is it just the grain marketing? What what are the big challenges for you? Yeah, I, I would say my biggest challenge is is to take my green marketing philosophy from an offensive strategy that I've probably had the last four or five years and remembering that defensive strategy that we 
had to use in the late 80s and through the 90s. And uh, that's kind of a challenge to go back and, you know, I tell these young guys, I say they want to talk about it, they want to pencil out their profit before they plant their crop. And I'm like, guys, I was fortunate enough to farm in the 80s. And, and we just planted a crop and hoped from the time we planted it to the time we harvested it that we could find a way to make a profit. And, you know, these days everybody wants to crunch the numbers and buy the inputs and come out with the bottom line before they start the year. And that just doesn't look the way 2024 is going to be. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with this thinking. Uh, we got to remember the 80s and the 90s. And, and I know a lot of farmers that are farming today didn't farm back then. But uh, the guys that did, uh, there's a lot of wisdom there to, to share about, hey, how do we deal with these higher interest rates? And, and I've talked to a lot of folks that have said, oh, man, interest rates are so high. And then the older guys in the room just chuckle and say, hey, you guys don't even know what you're talking about. This isn't even halfway to high yet. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and prepaying $300 seed corn and looking at $4 grain prices for corn, ah, you know, it just, it just gives me heartburn, but you got to win, you got to play the game to win the game. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Well, there's a lot to think about going into this season, and and I know right now a lot of us are a little tired because <laughs> we just got done. Uh, and heck, we're still getting good weather here, so we're still outside doing more things, even though we got all the things checked off the list, maybe, or most of the things checked off the list. So, uh, yeah, catch a breath. Hopefully, uh, you have a great holiday season and and uh, get a little time to to get a break and then we dive back in and start working on 2024 because it's it's going to be a fun one and you know the cool thing now too is we've got so much more yield and even though prices are down we still have a lot of gross income here that we can can play with so yeah hopefully hopefully we can figure out a way to make this thing yeah. all pencil in the end i'm with you on that Kevin. Yeah. yeah yep yep well you have a safe merry christmas and everybody out there have a uh have a have a good Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and I hope 2024 is as good as 2023 was. Yeah, I do too. Well, Merry Christmas to you and your family, Kevin. Thanks for being on. We really appreciate it. Hey, Brian, I uh, got a couple of soil tests here. I'm hoping we can at least get through this one. This is from Southeast Minnesota. This one's from John. He said, all right, guys, I rented this farm. I went out. I took some grid sampling. It's not a wet farm, but I have noticed the magnesium levels are really high. Uh, is there a reason that the magnesium levels are so high? Yeah, because you have a good amount of clay. So magnesium is one of the base components of montmorillonite clay that's real common in our region of the country. So you just have a lot of clay. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. And your cation exchange capacity is not that high. It's, uh, let's say, 12 to 16, something like that. Is your magnesium a little on the high side percentage-wise in ratio? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you're in the mid-20, mid to upper 20s for percentages. The big thing is you want to get your magnesium to potassium ratio roughly 2 to 1 at a minimum. 2 to 1 to 1 to 1. So you just need more K. Now, since you're renting it, I would tell you if you want to do something like banding, we've done a lot of strip-till banding with 
potassium, that works just fine if you don't want to load all the ground up. But otherwise, you just have to keep working on a build program with potassium over time. Your phosphorus levels are actually not too bad. You get a lot of between 50 and 100 parts per million, so not bad. Just keep in mind, you want phosphorus to zinc ratio to be roughly 10 to 1. You're at 2 on zinc. You got to get that to 5 at least. And copper, you want that to be 30 to 1 phosphorus to uh, copper in terms of a ratio. So you probably need to get that to 2 parts per million or more, and it's less than 1 part per million right now. So those are some of the things I would work on in addition to, hey, this ground isn't super heavy, keep in mind, 12 to 16 cation exchange capacity. So you need to make sure that you're potentially spoon-feeding nitrogen along with sulfur and boron because those are the leachable nutrients. So you can't just do those all up front. You're going to probably need some in season. All right. Thanks for the question, and congratulations to you on picking up some new ground. That's awesome. Uh, okay, got some soil test results here from Zach, but it's more of a drainage question than anything else. So so Zach's down in Nebraska. He said, hey, guys, uh, when we were pulling soil samples here this fall, I pulled a few from, from a bottom ground that's considered a wetland, designated a wetland. I'm wondering if I could impact drainage in some way in this ground, since I'm probably not going to get tiling approved. Um, if I if I were to seek approval for tiling, how would I go about doing that? Have you guys had any of these situations pop up? Well, who is classifying it as a wetland? Doesn't say, but I'm assuming uh, that's a government thing. Well, yeah, I get that. But if it's NRCS, that's whole different than if it's U.S. US Fish and Wildlife. U.S. Fish and Wildlife wetland easement, you will never do it ever, ever, ever. They'll never approve tiling. Let's just say this however, is NRCS. However, with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, usually if it's, say, a quarter section, there your grandfather or grandparents probably only got paid on five or ten acres in there, so you can tile everything else around that. So that's where I'm going with this. I don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, let's say it's NRCS. How would you get them to change it? Well, the biggest thing I've always found is you have to make sure that you're always raising a crop out there. Always, always, always. If you're taking prevent plant, you're going to have a lot more problems to prove to them that it's not a wetland. So what they're looking for is soil that has, um, uh, however you say it, water-loving properties. And as far as plants that would grow well in lots of water, and then beyond that, it's just... Um, what do things look like out there? So I'm trying to raise a crop as best I can. I'm going to keep the weeds down. I'm going to do everything to make things great. So, Okay, so what else can he do to improve drainage? Well, you can try to improve organic matter percentage, but that's already really high. It's 4 to 5%. Right. See, you so, can improve calcium. That's already high. It's up in the 70s. Right. Exactly. So that's my point. I don't know what else you're going to do. When I look at this, I go, oh, you've got things actually fairly well in balance. Your sodium isn't super high. Your calcium is about right. Your magnesium is about right. you got everything about right as it is right now. I mean, granted, you need the, the basic nutrients to grow a crop. You need more P and K and stuff like that. But things that would affect drainage, calcium is number one. And then excess magnesium we always worry about. Well, neither of those things is a factor here. So other than tile, I don't know what to tell you to improve drainage. Hey, thanks for the question, Zach. We really appreciate that. And thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.